Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I created Data Mesh Radio to be a resource for Data Mesh practitioners the world over. This is a weekly summary episode where I share a bit about the upcoming week's episodes and give you an extended summary for any interviews or panels that will be released during that week. It's designed to help you decide what episodes you might want to spend the full time to listen to, as interview episodes and panels are typically more than one hour long. In general, if you were running up against any challenges with Data Mesh, I'm here to help. I started a company around doing just that, Data Mesh Understanding. So get in touch if I can be of help. Check out our free community programs and things like that as well. Weekly episode summaries and programming notes for the week of June 18th, 2023. Things are getting going with data mesh understanding, or at least hopefully I'm again recording these a little bit in the past, but please get in touch if you want to be part of our roundtables. They're going to be kind of big roundtables with lots of people that are going to be kind of less gated. There's going to be ones that are live on LinkedIn where we kind of have ones with the audience where we have two, three people that are on as guests. So we kind of do a live panel, live roundtable that way small kind of targeted ones around very specific topics, especially with kind of leaders of implementations, et cetera. And lots more panels are coming too. So get in touch and get involved. What's on tap for this week? On Monday, we have episode 232. It's about the value, not the data. Effectively partnering with the business, which is an interview with Aaron Wilkerson from Carhartt. This is an in-depth exploration of partnering with the business. How do you actually build the trust necessary to drive towards bigger and bigger projects that deliver more value to stakeholders? How do you find their pain points and work with them to deliver work that adds value to them, not just that you think is valuable, what they think is valuable and actually they can extract value from? How do you prevent some common challenges that cause them to actually do more work instead of less around data? And a lot more in there. This one isn't about data mesh, but it's incredibly useful to refer to when you're going to meet with business partners, right? If you're heading into a week with a lot of business partner meetings, this is one to kind of review, review the show notes on or whatever. On Friday, we have episode 233, which is another panel, which is a head data architect's view of data mesh. This was led by Khan Chow of Granger with Balvinder Karana from ThoughtWorks, Yushin Sun from J.P. Morgan Chase and Carlos Saona at eDreams Odigio. I wanted to have a panel in general around managing all the complexities of a data mesh journey from the organizational to the highly technical, because architects in a data mesh implementation have to manage so much. They have to manage way more than ever before. And it's important to understand how to balance where to focus and when, right? It's not just the highly technical. It's not just the organizational. It's just a a balance constantly. Data Mesh brings so many challenges for architects, but also new opportunities to learn and grow, which really excited our guests, right? This is just a fun and interesting panel that I think you'll get a lot out of. 
So with that, on to the extended summary for Aaron's interview and the panel. Quick reminder, though, that panel summaries tend to be quite long, so just be prepared for that. Extended summary for episode 232. It's about the value, not the data. Effectively partnering with the business, an interview with Aaron Wilkerson. So in this episode, I interviewed Aaron, who's a senior manager of data strategy and governance at Carhartt. To be clear, though, he was only representing his own views in the episode. Before we jump in, this episode contains a lot of really good framing on how data leaders can actually partner with business people to drive to what matters for them. How do you extract what matters to the organization and to each specific business partner? And then how do you tie the data work to that? So while this episode is not heavy on data mesh specifics, it's really important to really considering the business partner's point of view and how to work with them to drive value for the organization. Aaron started with a bit about his background and how he's been upping his game around better partnering with the business and focusing more on the strategy aspects, data and non-data strategy. He was hitting a career ceiling a few years ago from focusing so much on the data work itself and communicating by showing people the data. Since he started digging deeper into data strategy, everything points to the business strategy. So the last few years have been about getting smarter on aligning the data strategy to the business strategy and doing data work to support key business objectives. What are the target business outcomes and how can data work, data and data work support those? For Aaron, when he looks at companies' business strategies, it's pretty rare to even see the word data featured in them. Maybe it's to become a data-driven org, but it's certainly not build a data warehouse or anything at the tactical data level. It's drive revenue, reduce costs, etc. So a key approach is doing the logic gap work. What do they care about with their business strategy? And then think about how data might support that. At the end of the day, The business people, they care that they get help on their key initiatives, not whether you built a data warehouse or leveraged some new paradigm like Data Mesh, some new tool to drive that help. To best partner with business people, Aaron recommends digging into their incentivization, not just their goals, but what are the measures of their success, their KPIs? How can you support them in doing a better job at what is most important to their role? Understanding what drives them will help you best understand how data work can support them, which in turn should support the business strategy. And it's crucial to really take to heart the fact that data just isn't a big part of the day-to-day work of most people inside the business. We want data to make that work more impactful, but trying to get everyone to be a citizen data scientist or whatever it's just not going to work or drive good business value, right? The way that I think about this as well is that we want people to not understand or not know or not care, maybe, probably more not care, that data is supporting their work, that that work that they're doing is backed by some data machinations and data things that we're doing in the background, but that they can focus on delivering the value relative to what their goals are, what what they're trying to do, not really caring that, oh, 
And I have to go and pull these queries and look at these dashboards and things like that. Aaron talked about two different ways of bringing data to business people, starting from a data first approach or starting from the business pains, pain points and working to the data. If you come with the data first approach where you've done some analysis and ask them if this is a value, you're asking them to do more work to evaluate if what you brought them is useful to them. That's probably not going to win you many friends. That's the tail wagging the dog. The business people care about certain things. Start from listening to them and then working to support them via data. You want the data to make their lives easier, not to add more work to evaluate what you found and for them to figure out if it even matters to their strategic objectives and KPIs. In a lot of the same vein, but from a different angle, it's really important to meet your business partners where they are with data. Look at their work streams and their goals slash challenges and find ways for data work to better support what they are doing instead of trying to reinvent the wheel or push them in an entirely new direction. The more friction to change, the more likely even potentially very valuable insights won't drive value because it won't drive actual action. That was what Brent Dykes was talking about in episode, I think, 199. Aaron made a really good point about while the organization may have target outcomes, each person working to drive to those outcomes has different responsibilities and measures of success, and it's important to figure out what aspect they own and how you can help them specifically in data. Think about that with like a domain. There may be somebody that's kind of the domain owner, the line of business head, but that you've got people underneath that that are all trying to drive towards the same outcomes for the domain, but they might all have different responsibilities that they have to take care of. And when working with them, be concise. He said a good way to think about it is in three slides, get your point across. You know, number one, here's the challenge we're facing. Number two, here's the outcome we want to get to. Number three, here's next steps. And then you are all aligned and then ask, are you all aligned to us? Try to focus on making sure you are reducing workload for people in most instances, rather than, again, making them do more work to get to value. Find ways to make it easier for them to focus on more and more valuable work and automate you know, that important but rote stuff. Understanding business partners' goals is only one aspect of partnering well, according to Aaron. You have to understand the magnitude of an improvement that would get them to move. There is friction to change, so a 10% improvement is often not going to be enticing enough. Think about Aaron's example of a rival cable company that's coming and knocking on his door now offering him to switch, and he's going to save two bucks a month, right? There's just too much friction to that. That's not worth it. And you also need to understand how would you communicate opportunities to your specific business partners to spur them to action? How do we market our data-driven insights and improvements? While we would probably all like to make major impacts with data, Aaron has seen it's more likely you need to put together a track record of small wins to gain the trust of many business partners. Once you've done that, they will be more ready to partner with you on bigger and bigger projects. And while you get to those quick wins, you can more easily understand what drives them and where their pain points lie, so you are better prepared for a bigger project when they bring it to you. Aaron talked about the difference between bringing up new challenges you've found and planting seeds for something that might be important down the road. Planting seeds, you know, letting people know a few tidbits of information along the way, 
is a great way to lay, lay the groundwork for the future. And that's different than the I'm bringing you, you know, something that you haven't known before, right? Most people will not thank you for bringing up a new challenge to their attention if it's a if it's not a major unknown issue or a major opportunity. They're focused on what they are most aligned to already. They have to do more work to assess if the new opportunity or challenge you brought them is worth their time. So consider carefully whether to bring something like that up and if yes, how. Again, try to give to try not to give people more work unless it's of significant value to them. To get to a place where you can work on high impact, large data work, Aaron recommends making sure you build from a solid core. Look to stabilize what data work is already occurring. Look for and address value leaks and build trust. Then you will get to a better partner position. And look to stay away from constantly trying to generate ideas instead of listening to your business partner's ideas themselves. They know their business better than you do and will almost certainly have better intuition about where to focus. Scott note here, I think you can, there's a balance there, but I do think that you don't want to constantly be pitching them on <laughs> what would be a big improvement for their own domain because they, they are going to know that better than you are in most instances. Aaron also believes it's really important to prioritize and learn to say no. Don't stretch yourself too thin. Again, focus on stabilizing and then start to work with people on future state, but don't add too much to your plate. Saying no is an incredibly powerful tool. I think this is really important in data mesh especially. Another powerful tool Aaron recommends is marketing your work internally. Many data people fall into the trap of trying to focus simply on doing good work and not sharing what they are doing widely enough. A lot of data people got into data to focus on doing interesting work instead of heavy communication work, right? But it's important for data leaders to constantly be sharing what's going on and just communicating in general. To understand where to focus your work, you need to understand people's needs, and you need people aligned with what you are doing and why. Talk to them about what are the top challenges, what are you doing to address them, etc. Eventually, you can increase the data fluency level of your business partners to a degree where they can help you make strategic decisions too, but that only comes with constant communication. On the topic of data fluency, Aaron believes it's probably better in most organizations for the data people to learn the business language and what drives the business rather than trying to teach a lot of deep data concept to hundreds or thousands of business people. The business processes are what drive value. Yes, data can significantly improve the business processes, but without understanding which processes are the ones to focus on and how to improve them, does the data work, is it really going to have that much value? Are you just doing data work for the sake of data work? Aaron, as many past guests have also noted, really recommends leveraging racy matrix, matrices. Uh, responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. That's what makes up a racy matrix. Get really specific on who is responsible for what. Get explicit and over-communicate to make sure there aren't misunderstandings or gaps. While it gets said a lot, making people feel seen and heard ends up having a large impact on partnering in Aaron experience. He said, you're more likely to work with folks who you feel understand you versus people who are talking about something you don't care at all about, right? 
If you learn people's pain points and talk to them, even if you can't address them right now, they're far more likely to lean into the conversation and future partnership with you. Extended summary for episode 233, a panel, which was a head data architect's view of data mesh. This was led by Khan Chow with Balvinder Karana, Yushin Sun, and Carlos Saona. Quick reminder that extended summaries for panels go through a lot of bullet points and are quite long. I have my top eight uh, takeaways, and then I've got 25 more. So in this episode, guest host Khan Chow who's the director of cloud data architecture at Granger and guest host of, or in guest of episode 44, facilitated a discussion with, with Balvinder Karana, who's technical principal and global data community lead at ThoughtWorks and guest of episode 135, Carlos Saona, who's chief architect at eDreams Odigio and guest of episode 150, and Yushin Sun, who's the chief architect of data platform and data products engineering at J.P. Morgan Chase. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. The topic for this panel was an architect's view of data mesh, right? Especially from an architect lead type standpoint. There are many challenges architects face in data mesh, managing the micro level minutia down to kind of the data product output and import port decisions. But that also has to balance with crucial high level decisions, you know, the micro and the macro balancing the near-term and long-term vision as well, as well as the roadmap and kind of maintaining the North Star and all of that. So I'm going to give you my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of the panelists' views individually. So my top eight takeaways. Number one, Balvinder said, quote, data mesh expects a lot out of architects. There would be a lot of people and process and operation management that you will have to understand. So I think it's important to understand that architects aren't just building out the systems, but the entire org capability to do decentralized data well. It's a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of interesting new challenges. So if you've got architects that are leaning forward on trying out to do new things and learn a lot of new things, it can be really, really rewarding, but it's going to be hard. Number two, as keeps coming up in many episodes, Doing decentralized data, you know, data mesh in general, doesn't mean everything is decentralized. That's what federated means in data mesh, building core building blocks that make the work far easier, but not trying to chase into every corner on every use case. That's not scalable or repeatable, and it leads to data people owning things, right? Instead of making it so that the domains can own things. You're looking to create ways for people to collaborate and interoperate easily. Doing the glue work so people can focus on the specific value add of the use case or data product. Number three, it's absolutely crucial to understand that data mesh is not a complete vision yet, right? If you are expecting to pick it up and simply run with it like it's a playbook, 
you're in for a bad time. The tooling isn't exactly there yet to do this easily, and even if it were, we're still in the early days of learning the patterns to do it well. It's much more like microservices in 2013 than 2023, right? And even with microservices, there isn't just a simple playbook you pick up and run with. Number four, every team will interpret data mesh differently. And many will interpret it in a way that lets them do what they want most, right? They're just going to be like, oh, this tells me I can do X because they want to do X. Be prepared to step in to prevent people building everything themselves. And also be prepared for teams that still expect a central data team to own everything. Communication and balance will be key. Number five, multiple years into your journey, you know, kind of, quote, we're figuring it out. That will still be a common refrain. You're not going to have all the answers by year two or by year three. Of course, don't make flippant decisions, but you'll learn and improve your processes. So leave yourself maneuvering room, but don't worry about getting things perfect. Optimize for learning and iterating the better, especially on the culture side. Number six, be prepared to compromise. You probably won't be able to decentralize major core systems like SAP, you know, ERP or whatever, immediately or maybe ever. While a perfect setup might be what you want, driving to value sooner is where to focus. Be practical and prepared for kind of, for better but not good yet, right? those kind of outcomes as you implement, especially early. Number seven, it's easy, especially early in your journey, to get overly focused on one domain or use case. That can be at the architecture level, the ways of working level, all sorts of governance aspects, etc. You must balance, you know, keep a balance between the micro all the way down to the use case or data product or like I even mentioned output port level and the balance with the macro of can this decision scale and serve the broader organization? Is this where we should be focusing now or or why should we be focusing on this now? Number eight, your organization is not a greenfield. Be prepared to not look exactly like any other orgs, right? You'll have lots of constraints. Frustrating, yes, but every single implementation is messy behind the scenes. Everyone is trying to figure it out and cutting some corners or making missteps. Give yourself a break as you learn and iterate towards value. So here are my 25 other important takeaways. Number one, we just plain don't have data mesh best practices yet. They are starting to emerge in certain aspects, but if you aren't ready for some ambiguity and experimentation, you aren't ready to do data mesh. And that's okay. Number two, Every organization will find different balances between centralization and decentralization for certain aspects of a data mesh journey. It's okay if your balance looks quite a bit different from others. Number three, your balance between centralization and decentralization for many aspects of your implementation will also shift over time. Constantly be measuring and assessing if things are good enough, good enough for right now. And be prepared to change, but also be prepared for things to be, eh, this is okay, but it's not perfect. Nothing is going to be, right? That also gives you the freedom to experiment a lot more. Number four, 
Prior to Data Mesh, it was hard to conceive of doing decentralized data similar to how microservices works on the operational plane. It seemed it would cause chaos and data silos. But if done well, you can give teams significant autonomy and still have a larger internal kind of cohesive data ecosystem where data from across the organization plays nicely and can be leveraged more easily by other domains. Number five, a centralized platform offering means more complexities than just one team owning a massive data lake setup, right? You have to manage backwards and forwards compatibility across many domains. You have to give them the ability to do like quick releases and all these things. So it's got more challenges around the platform than the people who really know the platform are the only ones that are really leveraging that platform. But it also has a lot of advantages. A biggie can be that with teams owning their own infrastructure, there's no resource contention, especially important in financial services around month-end processing where, you know, oh, okay, the the big, big um, services are the ones that starve out all the smaller ones. And so everybody's just kind of not able to meet their month-end uh, goals. Where within cloud and with data mesh and that type of things, you don't have that same issue going on. Number six, the old paradigm of central data ownership and control uh, to prevent, they prevent fast releases. So you don't really have any autonomous work by the producing domains because it has to go through the central team. They have to understand what's going on and make the changes. They have to put it in their backlog, all of that. And you can't keep up with things changing. They all go through that backlog. That means the time between something happening in the real world and change the, the change to the actual table or whatever in the data lake can be weeks to months. That just doesn't work for the speed of change in the real world, the speed of change relative to your business. Number seven, it's crucial to understand that data mesh is about building and using new muscles, ones around decentralization. Much like training, you will probably strain or pull some muscles. That's normal and to be expected. No one gets it perfect the first time around. Number eight, building out the interoperability at the tooling level. Not even the standards to interoperate the data, but the tooling to make it possible for teams to combine data across data products or source data from upstream data products. That is going to be harder than you expect, right? Building out that capability to just actually bring the data in in the way that you want it. Not even, you know, the policy and security governance. Just the way the data flows independently through the mesh rather than one giant pipeline per use case. That's going to be harder than you expect. It's important when you start to touch that and you go, wow, this is actually difficult. It, you're not the only one. Number nine, early in your journey, you will probably need to find domains that are excited to give data mesh a try. Rather than dragging a domain along, look for that true partner. This comes up quite a bit. Number 10, some degree of failure is inevitable in a data mesh journey, but the cost of failure and our ability to learn and iterate from failure to kind of not failure or iterate to value is so drastically different in data mesh. Fast failure, while possibly scary, is a crucial concept to embrace. Quickly learning and iterating is key. Number 11, once you've built up the buy-in and excitement for data mesh, you're job might you know, become more focused on hype management than on building that buy-in. P2 
People are used to data projects being built as fast as possible once they get the budget and the approval, but there's just not as much focus on sustainability. Data as a product, you know, that kind of aspect or interoperability with other data products. Make sure to keep initial expectations manageable and share why doing it right is better than doing it right now. Number 12, when building out initial expectations, maintaining flexibility for breaking changes is very helpful. You know, Paolo Plotter kind of talked uh, about how this can be dangerous if you are constantly doing breaking changes in the data platform panel as well, but you have to give yourself the room to be able to make changes. You don't want to make those breaking changes carelessly, but as you learn how to do data mesh, it's key to be able to scrap something that you find won't work rather than support a non-scalable platform for years to come. Number 13, right now, you'll probably have to build a lot more tooling than you'd want, including some custom glue between services to be able to do data mesh. Hopefully that gets far better, but right now there's still a lot of building to do if you want to do data mesh well. Number 14, if you weren't part of the microservices revolution and evolution, really study what worked and didn't in that space, right? There are many lessons learned that you don't have to relearn, that you can take a lot of guidance from. Number 15, Yushin said, quote, architects are not wizards. So we make a lot of choices and some of these choices are, will be wrong. And we need to experiment. And we need to pivot quickly once we find out that something's not going to work. That flexibility is necessary. If you don't have any flexibility to experiment and change, your org is probably not ready for data mesh. Number 16, it's very difficult to abstract away the necessary capabilities for managing data from the tooling. It's very easy to get overly tied to specific tools. That is costly and difficult to find specialists for many tools and becomes a blocker to scaling. Look to build good abstractions where possible. Tools are hopefully coming soon to help that, but and it's easier said than done, but really try to build the abstractions on top of the tooling that you're using so people can focus on doing the work instead of working with the tool. Number 17, your room for experimentation is much broader, especially at the act you know, architecture and platform level early in your journey. You probably don't only want to go with more kind of those legacy tools. It's okay to try some, you know, bets on more cutting edge offerings. There's balance, of course, but you can be a bit adventurous if you manage risk from that experimentation well. Number 18, really focus on enabling self-service for the domain teams. There are certain aspects of governance that should be enforced automatically by the platform so teams don't have to reinvent everything and then it becomes a mess because everyone is handling things differently. And it's okay to delay tackling use cases because you aren't ready to meet all their needs just yet. I know some people are like, I've got to be able to solve every use case or address every use case at the start and that's just going to that's going to bite you in the butt. Number 19, it's going to take far longer than you'd like to sunset existing platforms and the data assets or data products or whatever that are using those existing platforms. Don't press for lift and shift. 
potentially look to the strangler fig pattern as you replace existing use cases, though, and really assure people you aren't going to decommission existing data platforms overly quickly. This is one where a lot of people start to panic because anytime a new platform is brought in, everybody's told to shift over to this new platform and it never works that well. And you don't want that uh, kind of challenge on yourself as well when you're doing data mesh. Data mesh is already challenging enough. Number 20, look to prevent copies of data that don't have a very clear reason to exist. If you can always get the data, do you need to persist a copy of it? There's storage costs, yes, of doing those copies, but a bigger cost might be the headaches around governance, including, you know, the bad actor access risk. Okay, you're making a copy. What happens if somebody gets access to this because your copy isn't as secure as the actual data product? You know, and there's lots of other governance issues of keeping track of all those copies. As Carlos recommended, look to push the cost of that governance of those copies onto teams that want to keep those copies and see if they will still want to make copies of data. Because if you push that governance cost onto them, it's another cost, another hurdle. So then they're less likely to want to do that. Number 21, potentially look to leverage tools that use open formats so you don't have to do custom integration around tools. Personal note here, this is where I think data mesh can actually push the biggest industry changes. Imagine no more crazy proprietary formats and tools just work together easily, right? They just kind of plug into each other. That wouldn't, wouldn't that be awesome? You wouldn't have to build custom integration between each tool. Number 22, you can drive data mesh participation buy-in from consumers by showing the general friction and pain points of your existing data setup. Almost every team has a lot of pain points. You, know, you can ask them, can you really trust upstream data right now? Or do you want a contract around that data that provides you a lot of assurances? Right? Just that of, are you really trusting of what you're getting can really get them to consider moving. Number 23, cost will be a major factor in a lot of your architectural choices. You know, it would be really nice if things were relatively equivalent, but pricing across vendors is often extremely different and difficult to kind of figure out. Be prepared to use more tools than you might want if you've got something that's a compute-heavy kind of uh, use case. You're probably going to want to look to find a tool that is very cheap on compute that might be more on storage or thing, something like that. Number 24, different teams will have different capability levels regarding data. There is often going to be some needs that fall back to a centralized team, whether that is a platform team or another shared central kind of data team. In an ideal world, it would all be decentralized ownership, but sometimes the cost of creating a full data function inside a domain isn't worth it. That's okay, because that team shouldn't be a bottleneck. If it's only handling a few teams, you know, that central team shouldn't be a bottleneck. But again, be careful that you don't start to kind of slip back to lots of central ownership. It's all a balance. Finally, number 25. Right now, a real value differentiation of data mesh is the ability to scale with nimbleness and agility while managing data quality. But for most organizations, at least right now, their data mesh implementation isn't super cost optimized or performant. Cost optimizations are typically second order concerns as you start out, but will become bigger and bigger topics. I'm going to be doing some more uh, digging into this kind of how do we start to really assess our costs? How do we manage our costs well? Because that's a, a passion area for me as I used to manage cloud costs for a public company. 
Hopefully it sounds like some awesome episodes for you coming up this week. As a reminder, feel free to get in touch if I might be useful in your data mesh journey, helping quite a few organizations and introducing people to each other, plus doing some roundtables. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. Now on to that fun, funky little outro music. Thank you.